Oh, you got a, a kernel panic, Scott. Look at that. It's the worst uh, worst of Mac crashes. And also a really good name for uh, a, a rock band, if you are looking for one, Kernel Panic. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcheson. And Adam, my co-host, is here as always. Uh, and this week, we'll be talking to Phil Libin, the co-founder and CEO of the new product and company called Mm-hmm from All Turtles and the former co-founder and CEO of Evernote uh, for a conversation about the future of work. But before we do that, uh, we're going to dive into this week's news. So Adam, are you ready to talk about the best of the best of of this week in the world of media technology uh, and advertising. Always ready. Fantastic. Well, let's dive into our first story here today, folks. Uh, first up, Amazon has introduced Amazon One, a new way to pay with your palm when entering stores. A quick overview here. Amazon One is a biometric technology that lets shoppers pay using their palm. And it'll be coming to the first two Amazon Go stores in Seattle. So, Adam, it seems like the future is finally here, uh, which seems like it happens <laughs> almost weekly on this on this show. Uh, we'll be able to pay with our palm, uh, and essentially a phone number is all you need in order to check out at these two stores in the future. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I think this is super cool. Yeah, I mean, so Amazon is, this is one of a, a series of, of steps that Amazon has been taking to um, towards payments without using a device. Um, obviously mm-hmm. Apple and Google both have Apple pay and Google pay. Um, and Amazon, you know, not being a platform owner on the mobile side, um, has been looking for a deviceless way to introduce payments into retail stores. Um, and so this is their, their entry there. Um, the interesting thing is it's not, obviously it's, it's piloting in Amazon stores, but eventually they are also going to offer it to other retailers. That's the idea. You know, I think it makes sense from a strategic perspective from, from Amazon. I have some questions as to how comfortable users are, are going to be, consumers are going to be with having their handprint, uh, you know, stored in Amazon's cloud. Uh, Amazon is pretty trustworthy, I think. I think most consumers do trust them. But, uh, you know, it's just one more piece of, uh, of data that is uh, not something that you control. And unlike something like Google Pay or Apple Pay, you can't just reset your palm if, it, if there is a data breach in the future. Well, this is definitely something that they've been working on, I'd, I have to imagine, for a few years and definitely before COVID hit, knowing that the payment structure of, of what we're trying to see here is that people want to go contactless. Yeah. And there's really no more contact and literally your, like your whole palm on a uh, screen. So that'll be interesting to kind of see h- how they perform over the next few months. But again, knowing a piece of technology like this is going to be in beta for at least a few years just to kind of get, get all the kinks worked out. I have to imagine that they're not too concerned about the impact of COVID on it right now. But it actually is contactless because you don't touch your hand to the the scanner. You hover it over the scanner, which oh. is a mistake that I think a lot of consumers are going to make. Like it's actually I think more natural to want to stick your hand press your hand against it, but you don't have like you're not supposed to. You're supposed to hover over it with your all, with your palm. All all movies and TV have shown me you place your hand on it. So that's I know. that's what's that's what's ingrained <laughs> in my head is, is this goes on on the handprint uh device. Well, so that that's interesting. 
Um, okay, so it is fully contactless. Well, uh, the, the more we know there. Um, for Amazon, this makes a lot of sense because now they can have their Amazon Pay as that, you know, essentially like that card on file, uh, like that primary uh, payment device versus an Apple Pay or Google Pay or, you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, and actually for both businesses and consumers, uh, we're starting to see contactless payments uh, are really no longer the secondary payment method, according to the Amex 2020 Digital Payments Trendex survey that was released last week. Uh, the survey found that seven out of 10 merchants say that since COVID-19's outbreak, customers have requested contactless and 32% of merchants recently adopted or plan to adopt contactless payments due to COVID-19. Um, so definitely contactless payments are here to stay and is one of those things that has been rapidly accelerated uh, given the current pandemic. And one last bit of Amazon news this week is they just officially announced that Prime Day will be October 13th and 14th this year, which is very late for Prime Day, but uh, very early uh, as a kickoff to the holiday shopping season. So, um, you know, I think it's an interesting pivot to Prime. Prime Day was always sort of the the foil to the holiday shopping season. It was much earlier in the year and kind of a way to, to balance out, um, you know, sale, heavy sales on Amazon to a different time of year. And now it's just all about the holidays, all about gift giving, I think. And next week, actually, we'll be doing a floor nine episode all about the holiday shopping season. Uh, so stay tuned for that as we work our way into the holiday shopping season for 2020 and what that looks like. Uh, next up, we have an update from Big Blue. Uh, Facebook has unveiled cross-app communication between Messenger and Instagram. Uh, so now, fa- with Facebook Messenger powering Instagram messaging experience, message threads and calls will be accessible through both applications. Uh, and this even works for users without accounts on the other service. So I think this is super interesting. Uh, I think it goes to show one, just how important messaging is uh, for both these platforms, especially on Instagram. There's definitely a lot of conversation that is moving, you know, kind of off the main platforms into these private group chats, into these DM chats uh, where, uh, you know, users are spending their time. Uh, But two, to me, it seems like uh, it's one more instance of Facebook really trying to ingrain Instagram in its core infrastructure. Uh, So potentially if there is antitrust or anti-regulations of them trying to split up Instagram and Facebook, it makes it much more difficult for them to to do that. Yeah, I, I, I we all know why Facebook is doing it. Um, I think for consumers, it, it's you know kind of a, a, a nothing. There's there's I don't think that this is actually something that consumers were asking for necessarily. Um, I do think for brands there is a benefit in that you will be able to use one platform to reach users right now across uh, Facebook and Instagram and eventually um, into WhatsApp. So it's a will be a, a nice thing for brands to be able to to centralize their customer service across all of these platforms. Um, but uh, other than that, we'll we'll have to see if this is. Uh, you know, has any larger unintended consequences that are that are coming out of uh, unifying those platforms. Yes. And um, I think what we're waiting on here is really how these two platforms will be blended together. Uh, as we know, uh, the the uses and functionality are a bit different. Uh, and so there are still some outstanding details uh, on how exactly Facebook is going to pull this one off. So stay tuned uh, as this story develops. Uh, and lastly, uh, we look into Walmart uh, as Walmart has redesigned stores to align with its mobile app, making store navigation more clear uh, and pushing use of its app to include self-checkout and touchless pay. 
Uh, so, you know, Walmart with a little uh, interesting development on how they are approaching uh, some retail innovation. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of one of those, why has it taken this long for this to happen? But basically, <laughs> the Walmart app and the Walmart website will start to match the the way that the stores are organized so that if you make your shopping list using the Walmart app, it'll be able to guide you around the store and organize things into the, their sort of the, the right categories so that you're taking a logical trip around the store rather than looking at your, your shopping list that's all out of order. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, I can't believe that it took until 2020 for some retailer to uh, organize their stores and their, their digital experiences in the same way. Mm-hmm. At least in the U.S., I'm, I'm sure that somebody in China has been doing this for uh, ten years. <laughs> yes, and and to that point, uh, it it really does illustrate how uh, retail and e-commerce have really kind of flipped. Right? It used to be that retail, physical brick brick and retail, would influence e-commerce, and now e-commerce is influencing uh, brick and mortar, knowing how much uh, consumer volume and dollars are flowing through that channel and this continues to grow. So it's just, it's just pretty interesting to see. And Adam, to your point, uh, it's surprising how it took so long, but, um, you know, we're here and we're starting to see just that, um, you know, one of the biggest companies in, in brick and mortar, uh, really start to change and adopt and grow with the time. So that's great. Um, but with that, listeners, that's going to wrap up this week's news. Uh, we're actually going to head on over to our interview section where we'll be talking to Phil Libin, the CEO and co-founder of mm-hmm, uh, and All Turtles, as well as the former co-founder and CEO of Evernote to talk about uh, their new product and the future of work. So let's dive in. All right, listeners, so welcome to the interview portion of this week's episode. To give a brief overview of the mm-hmm product, uh, essentially, it is a tool that allows you to make your presentations more creative uh, and interactive and exciting, uh, knowing that we are all living in this work from home world. Uh, and today with Phil, we'll be talking about work from home, uh, the mm-hmm product, uh, how it came to be, and really how work is changing for a lot of those that have been working in offices over these past six months and really in, into the future here. Uh, so Phil, uh, we're super excited to have you here and welcome to Floor 9. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Oh, we're super excited for you to, to join us. Um, so before we dive into our conversation, can you just give us a little bit of a background on this new product mm-hmm, uh, that your team has been building throughout throughout quarantine? Uh, it seems like it's one of the very first products that is looking to take advantage of uh, all of these different companies uh, and teams working through video conferencing software. Yeah, well, we started working on this uh, really pretty recently, I think like in May. Oh, wow. Um, Basically, uh, yeah, it was already a few months into lockdown, and um, you know, I was just living on video and trying to juggle lots of different projects, and you know, keep keep things uh, keep things alive and keep things relevant. And uh, video was just so boring; it's just so tedious living on video. So, I just started, I just started experimenting, like really, kind of as a joke. Um, I ha- I found this, um, I had this green camping towel, um, and I, I, I hung it up behind me. Uh, on the wall and it, it didn't cover the full frame. It's just like a little towel hanging behind me. And then I just started like projecting things on it using like zoom, you know, green screen and that kind of stuff. And it was just funny. I just had like, you know, pictures of scowling Anthony Fauci, like looking over my <laughs> shoulder as I, as I talked and, you know, people thought it was kind of funny uh, and it just kind of went from there. But the more, the more we were tinkering with it, 
the more it started to seem like maybe we were onto something important. And um, yeah, within a few weeks, this was like a, a, a major project. So yeah, it was our first, uh, it was also our first, I would say, you know, pandemic native product that we okay. only started working on in this new reality. I feel like some of the best products just come from playing around and having fun and experimenting. Um, so that's a pretty uh, good backstory about how this whole product came about. I think one of the things I'm interested in knowing about really is um, as you've started this project and started like developing this, have you seen really any interesting insights uh, into how people are, are are using the product? Yeah, we're starting to see all sorts of uh, really cool use cases. It's really taken off in, uh, in school. So there's lots of great uh, use case of teachers using it, which makes a ton of sense. There's some really great things about about just students, kids using it. Um, there's some really cool videos that I really love. Uh, we've also become, we've seen some really interesting use cases in like in like like churches. Like there's a lot of like clergy using it, which also totally makes sense. You know, you've got to like come up with something interesting to say. You know, once a week, it's like a good good platform for that. Uh, I've seen like companies using this to do like investor roadshows, tons of entrepreneurs kind of pitching VCs. I've seen several VC pitches already kind of using it. Uh, and then, you know, comedians, performers of all kinds. Uh, so it's actually been, it's been really fun. It's been, I think the the hallmark of a good product is that the creators have, can't anticipate how it's going to be used. So whenever I work on anything, I always love this feeling like, the first time I see it in the wild, and it's like a use case that I didn't see coming, I was like, okay, that, that feels really good. We're, we're starting to see that right now. Okay. Well, that well that is super interesting. Um, and to your point, I think there are a lot of people out there that can find a very creative use case for having slides, imagery, or that little teleprompter square box in their upper right-hand corner or left-hand corner. Um, that just seems to be a staple. I'm surprised we haven't seen any shows use it yet. Yeah, there are there are some. Uh, I don't think I don't think John Oliver is using it yet, but there are some that I've that I've started to see, and we're definitely reaching out to people. And you know, our hope is, our hope is that by the time we launch, like right after launch, we can actually start seeing very you know very public use cases. Uh, but yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for, for any kind of content creation. You know, the 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 first place where a lot of people see it is in a video meeting, and it's great for that, just inside of Zoom or Meet or WebEx or whatever. But I actually think the actually think the creator use case is is, is is much bigger and has a longer tail. And so I think people using it to make YouTube videos, to stream stuff, to make shows, but also to make a, we, we have a feature we call interactive recordings. So I can, I can record a presentation and then send it to you and you can watch it like a movie, but you can also flip through it like a deck. Uh, so it's kind of a hybrid between a, a PowerPoint deck and a movie, which works great. So we're, we're seeing, we're seeing all of these uses um, just starting to happen over the past few weeks. And We've only been in beta for you know a few weeks at this point. No, I think it's interesting that you're talking about um, you know creators like whether that be you know professional TV shows or YouTube creators. But I think the interesting thing is that we're at this inflection point where suddenly, literally, everybody's who who is working from home, their job has at least partially become about creating media. Where even if you're just attending a meeting, uh, you know, assuming that you're going to participate at least a little bit, it's a little bit about how you present yourself in that little little box on Zoom, right? And so, you know, suddenly everybody is really, I think, tasked with how do you look good on camera? How do you present yourself well on camera? And, uh, you know, have people are starting to learn the tricks of the trade from, you know, YouTubers and Twitch streamers. Um, and so I think we're at this weird intersection where suddenly your your desk job is also about creating media. Um, and I think you guys really, you know, fit right at that intersection quite nicely. Yeah. And we were very intentional about this, about like what 
what do we want this product to be for? Uh, what do we want people to do? In, mm -hmm. And uh, we really decided that, you know, we're not, um, we're not about, we're not for communication. We're not for collaboration. Like we're not where your team gathers to do work. There's like already a lot of great products for that. We are, we really are for performance. Uh, and just the idea is like, all of us have to perform. We've always had to perform. Um, you know, some, you have to perform. You have these micro performances, right? You, you sometimes have to perform for, you know, your kids or your boss or your investors or your listeners or, you know, your employees. But there's, there's like multiple times in any get in, in any given day where, where people are like, okay, like pay attention to me. Like I'm going to do a bit. Right. It just, you know, back in the real world, back in real life, we used, we used to have to do this. And when it all went to video, these performances really, really suffered. Um, and so everything got really boring and really ineffective because like, yeah, it's easy to just feel like, you know, like an anonymous head in a box. Uh, and we wanted to attack that directly, right? So the whole point of, of mm -hmm is to say, how do we level up your performance over video so that you could be more entertaining, more memorable, higher impact for all of these use cases for, you know, professional use cases, personal use cases, entertainment use cases, uh, you know, whatever. So it's very much, that is very much the key, right? Like people who are good at their jobs tend to also be good performers, even if they don't realize it. And that broke for almost everyone on video. And we were trying to, we're trying to unbreak it. Oh, that's super interesting to kind of take that lens. Cause I'll be honest, when I, when I first came across mm -hmm, and the product that you were making to me, I was like, okay, this is, this is solely and specifically only for, uh, corporations and enterprises that are now figuring out ways in which they can do presentations in the real world now over zoom, uh, but better, you know, in a way where you, you can be seen, you can see your slides, uh, and you can still kind of have that conversation with your audience without getting essentially lost behind multiple different windows, all packed onto one different, you know, teams meeting or whatever it might be. Or if you essentially get like into presenter mode, you could no longer see anything, but that, you know, single slide. Um, so it was interesting to kind of hear that that was only one use case that, the entire team was thinking about when it came to making this product. Um, and I, I like that lens, you know, um, cause I think to your point, work in general could be a bit more fun, uh, especially presentations, uh, now that we have some flexibility of what can be done with them, uh, digitally. Yeah. And I think like, you know, when I think back to the best, you know, teachers I ever had, right. They were clearly good performers, right. They're like teaching is, is performance and you have to like be aware of it. And, you know, and like, being a doctor, a big part of that is performing and being a, you know, a banker really for like many, many, many of these jobs, the performance was important. And, you know, and some people like knew about that intentionally, but other people were just kind of naturally good at it, but we all worked out these ways to like do our jobs element of, of showmanship and charisma, which just, just makes things ineffective until, you know, as you guys are saying, people kind of figure out how to, how to be better. And that's, that's very much what we wanted to do. We just wanted to kind of get everyone's uh, video chops, you know, leveled up so they could be as, as dynamic, if not more so as they were in, in real life. So Phil, at the top of the show, uh, we were talking about, uh, all turtles and how the team is currently fully remote with no plans to actually be going back to an office. Uh, so it seems like the team believes that one, the work from home lifestyle is here to stay. But two, my first question for you is, uh, what are you going to be doing with the extra cash that's coming in from not having an office? Uh, do you have any plans for that? Are you concerned about uh, getting people together in one space for any sort of like, you know, team culture and building uh, anything like that? I think like I happen to work in an industry where that's possible and I feel really lucky. 
uh, and I totally understand that, that that not everyone does, but but a lot of people do. And you know, I'm I'm happy to not have to ever again commute, sit in the same room with a bunch of people wearing headphones, fight for you know conference spaces, and have to like restrict the the talent pool to one ten thousands of the surface of the globe, which happens to be the one ten thousands, you know, where, where I happen to have my office. Like all of these things in hindsight seem really stupid. So no, obviously we're never going back to that, to that world. You know, and then of course like I want to I want to see people in person. Uh, and so we'll use we'll use some of the budget that we save from rent to have, you know, really nice uh offsites once in a while. So maybe, you know, once a quarter or a couple of times a year, you know, we'll fly somewhere. when the world opens back up and this is a good idea again, maybe, you know, we'll fly everyone down to a nice retreat. We'll spend, you know, a few days or a week together. Like th- those should be intentional things. No one should have to like sit in traffic because they have to, so that they can then sit in a room with headphones. But yeah, but obviously once in a while we should be intentional about bringing people together and, and, and seeing them in person. And maybe they're not working at that point. That's more meant for, for meetings and social stuff. And then we, and then we go back again. So on that uh, topic of being able to access the global talent force and 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 recruit globally, one thing that has been a pretty hot topic, uh, I think, especially in Silicon Valley, um, is uh, the the question of compensation and how does compensation change when you're you know recruiting in in a, a global workforce. Uh, I know you know Mark Zuckerberg said that for for Facebook employees, they were welcome to uh, keep working from home, and of course, some of them might move outside of the Bay Area but that their salaries might be adjusted downward to reflect a lower cost of living if they did so, um, which I think was surprising and, and a little jaw-dropping for some people. Um, what do you think about this question about, about salaries? How do, you, how do you value someone's work when you're looking at a global market instead of just uh, a local market for a city like New York or San Francisco? Yeah, that's a really good issue. And um, uh, I think it's, it's, it's difficult, right, for everyone, uh, because it's, 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 it's a little bit weird when you think about it, uh, the fact that salaries are so radically different everywhere. So what we've decided to do uh, at, at All Turtles is, um, um, well, basically, A, say we don't know what the, what the long-term answer is going to be. So we're, we're just not sure. Uh, we're, we're pretty small. There's only like 30-something of us. So we said, for now, yeah, everyone is welcome to live kind of wherever they want. And um, we aren't going to change people's salaries if they move. So the, the cost of living isn't, isn't, I think, as important as the cost of talent, right? The, the cost of talent is, the cost of living is part of that, but part of that is also availability and, you know, things like that. And I think the cost of talent ought to equalize uh, much faster if this is a thing that's going to be common, right? Because again, if you're a, you know, if you're a programmer, or if you're a graphic designer and you can work from anywhere, it really shouldn't matter where you live and, and the costs sort of equalize over, you know, given enough time. So for now, what we're saying is uh, when we make new offers, uh, we, we get really good stats on what is the, the you know, the cost of, of, of talent in every location. And we're offering people based on a good salary for where they live and their position. Um, if people are moving, we aren't changing anything but only because there's so few of us right now, it just wouldn't, didn't seem to be worth it. You know, it's very different for Facebook. Yeah. Like Facebook's got tens of thousands of people. So I'm sure it's just a bigger problem. So I, I, luckily we haven't had to decide whether uh, the Facebook approach is right or wrong because we're still small, but you know, we, we will have to decide that because at some point we're going to have lots of people who we hired in one city and then they moved. And then what do we do? And we'll have to figure that out over the next year or two, but it it, it is an interesting problem. And, and, And I don't think it's, you know, like if we can really hire people from anywhere, but if we're going to pay 
pay them what they make in, in, in each location, then why would we ever hire anyone from San Francisco ever again? <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting thing that the world's gonna have to figure out because this like this main constraint of well, you have to live near where you work. That just constraint that just popped for yeah. a large section of the of the society, and so it's all going to be different now. Yeah, I think I think I agree that over time, and and I think we don't really know how long, but I think it might happen pretty quickly. It, it will even out, and we will it will stabilize at some at some level, um, and that will maybe determine more where folks live uh, when they can live anywhere. You know, it, it might it might have an inverse effect as opposed to it used to be where your office was and where you, you lived informed your salary, it might actually start to go in the other direction. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's, I think there's lots of things about the way it used to work in the before times that is sort of deeply unfair, right? Like uh, it, it, it is deeply unfair that if you live, if you happen to live in San Francisco or immediately around here, you have far more opportunities along, you know, certain types of companies, at least in tech than, than anywhere else, far more ability to raise money. If you want to start your own company, um, much, much higher salaries, but at the same time, like expenses are high. Um, and also the quality of living is quite low most of the time. Like you're just not getting a lot. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's weird, right? It's weird to, for people to have to f- force to choose between, you know, having kids and like raising a family and where they want to work just purely based on how long they want their commute to be. Uh, all of this is like, not like, this isn't beneficent. This isn't good for people. This isn't good for the world. So, um, I think the change is very welcome, but change is, you know, and anytime there's change, there's some people that are going to be, it's going to hurt somebody. It's going to help somebody else. And hopefully it helps a lot more people than it hurts. Mm-hmm. When I, when I think about this whole scenario, um, the one thing that keeps coming back to me is, you know, to your point, I think the cost of talent uh, is a really good way to look at, you know, where, somebody is living or not necessarily living, but like there's like what talent uh, is priced at in that region. Um, But time zones, I think are becoming more important, even though you can live anywhere. I think the time zones might be like that new constraint of where people are potentially willing or wanting to work. Just given the fact that, uh, you know, if you're all on the East coast, that's great. You're all kind of the same time zone. If you're all on the West coast, that's great. Um, and then if, if you have the, you know, a little bit on the West coast, a little bit on the East coast, I mean, three hours, that's, that's, you know, I think, uh, doable where it, it gets into like an interesting conversation, depending on the work is if, you know, we're in the Eastern standard time and then, uh, we're, we're doing work with, uh, you know, a company, you know, out of, you know, APAC, they're anywhere from 12 hours to 14 hours ahead. Um, that could be very difficult to to manage uh, a team depending on the type of work. And I think that'll be kind of like a new limit or barrier of where we see people locate uh, and find places to live is just based off the time zone the majority of their team is in. So that way you kind of still have that, um, you know, kind of same timetable and schedule for a team. It can also be an advantage though. Yeah, Absolutely. No, I mean we have we have teams now in um, in many time zones. We have teams in you know in the U.S. on the West Coast, on the East Coast. Uh, we have uh, people in Japan. We have people in Australia. We have people in Europe. Um, so I think this is just one of these things where, again, yeah, it's easy to it's easy to to find all of the problems with it, um, but it also does give you superpowers uh, to be able to do that. And so you just kind of lean into those, and it's fine. Like we we've been very productive with teams with you know, teams literally all over the world in every time, not, not in every time zone, but in, you know, certainly in, in time zones that are very, very far apart. And yeah, it's fine. You know, like you have to, you have to, 
it you lose some ability for serendipitous connection, which is a problem. So we have to very intentionally try to put those back in. And they're not going to happen accidentally. Uh, but you gain a lot of other stuff. Uh, and it, it does force us to be more disciplined and structured in the communication. It, it makes writing more important, um, which is, you know, an, an interesting thing. Like you kind of have to write again. Um, but the new tool set is very good. You know, like I said, Figma is great. Slack is pretty good. Uh, so we, we've, like, I, I don't mind the multiple time zones. Uh, we, are, we are sensitive to them, but, it, but we make it work. Yeah, and there, there have been some industries that have, for a long time, purposefully staged people in different time zones in order to take advantage of a, a 24-hour cycle, um, a, a chase-the-sun strategy of, of production. I know video production, you know, for in certain components of it where there is a very important, you know, high turnaround, it's important that, that it get done as fast as humanly possible, will will work on a, you know, chase the sun strategy where they have somebody working 24 hours a day in order to, you know, on the same piece of content in order to get it done as fast as possible. Yeah, I think a lot of knowledge work shouldn't require um, real time, like synchronous uh, work, right? That, sh that, that should be the exception. Right. The, the yeah. exception is like what we're doing here, where should we're having like a real time, you know, live conversation. This is for a particular type of thing. But for, for most things in, in, in our industry, in, in tech, we shouldn't require people to be doing the same thing at exactly the same time. Um, and sometimes if, when we do require that, it's because we just haven't thought through like the, the processes or the tools kind of well enough. And we actually get a lot of improvements by by changing the way we do that so that, so that it's not required. Um, you know, like. If you're going to have, if, if, you, if time zones are a problem because you tend to have a lot of meetings with 30 people in them and it's just really hard to schedule 30 people if they're in different time zones. And the question is like, how often do you really need to have a 30 person meeting? <laughs> Probably not very often for most companies. So <laughs> yeah, it's okay. If you're, right. if you're relying on those, you can just stop doing them, you know, do something right. else. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's, that's all, that's all a good point. And insight. I just think the, uh, um, you know, it just, that was just one of the things that kind of like, this like stuck out to me. Um, but then again, you know, there, there are many different ways in which people can work and teams can work. And again, depending on, I think, I think on the job, uh, and what's required, um, you know, at two point, you, you, you can make it work, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very doable. Um, but so just looking ahead, uh, as we start to really bring a lot of change into the workforce and how we work and where we work. Um, what role do, you know, Adam and Phil, you see AI and automation starting to play uh, into this new environment? Uh, are there certain, you know, tools or tasks or even products that are being developed that you think uh, will really help, you know, improve the ways in which we work um, as we start to kind of figure out this, you know, essentially this, this, this new way of working. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there are increasing inroads, um, of artificial intelligence into, uh, into various fields. And I think that, uh, you know, in, in terms of white collar work, I think what we're looking at is it more being about what can, what are the, some of the low level tasks that AI can start doing, um, to, uh, to, to free us up to do more higher level thinking. Um, and I think, you know, that, that obviously starts out with very rudimentary things like scheduling and setting up meetings and things like that. But I think hopefully we're within grasp of, of things like, um, you know, rather than starting a brainstorming meeting from zero, um, that it, the AI can actually come out and 
generate a bunch of the obvious ideas for you so that you can say, okay, those obvious ideas are already here. How do we get beyond the obvious ideas? We, we already have all, all read them and already have them. Uh, how do we go beyond the obvious and come up with something more creative and more interesting? Um, and I think we're, you know, not, that's not happening tomorrow, but I think we're within five or so years of something like that happening where you throw a brief to an AI and it comes, it tells you all the things that, uh, you know, you would have thought of in the first half hour. So you can get onto the, the more creative stuff. By the time that the AI affects it, it doesn't feel like AI anymore because it's just like a normal tool, right? <laughs> so like if I think about like if I just like look around my home office right now, like it is full of AI, but none of it feels that way because it's all just like it's just like a tool, right? Like I've got uh, the camera that I'm looking into is doing all sorts of stuff that's like pretty advanced AI in terms of like automatically tracking my face and detecting things. And, you know, we're doing a lot of AI in, mm -hmm, to do layering and separation. And, uh, you know, my coffee machine probably has some AI in it to control the, you know, the pressure of the way which it, you know, spits water through the beans. There's like, there's a lot of this stuff, but it doesn't like, none of it is, none of it feels like AI because by the time I'm actually using it, it's, you know, it's just a tool. It just, it just works. So whenever somebody asks like, well, what are the AI tools that I, that I like I use all the time? I always have to, like, I always have to scratch my head because like, I can't think of any until I'm like, oh, well, actually it's in everything. When I reply to emails now in Gmail, it does a pretty good job of like auto-completing thoughts and sentences. And like, that's actually pretty hardcore and pretty impressive. And it's pretty <laughs> good at it. And because it's good at it, it doesn't feel like cheating because it's like, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. And so it's like, well, I, I did say that. I just said it by hitting tab versus like typing it. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel weird at all once it gets good enough to work. So yeah, I think like the successful products all fit very neatly into the fabric of reality without, without right. drawing too much attention to themselves. That's a good point. Um, and I think, you know, as we start to see, you know, what the, this larger ecosystem is going to be like uh, of tools and you know, like, mm -hmm, or other products that are, that are going to be built, um, to your point, it'll probably just make us smarter. It'll be Adam to your point, make us more creative. Uh, and in general, uh, you know, it's not gonna be anything too, too scary, but rather, uh, honestly, pretty mundane, uh, when you, when it comes down to it, right. You won't even notice it, uh, as you're working through it. And so, um, with that, you know, Adam and Phil, uh, is there, do you have any last thoughts on, on the future of work? We've covered a lot on this week's episode. Can I, can I plug a contest that we're doing? Absolutely. Plug all the plugs you want. Right. So, um, I really, I'm really trying to get, uh, uh people to think about this, uh, better than before concept, right? I better than in real life, IRL plus, like rather than saying, how do we how do we get to be almost as good? How do we solve problems? Like how do we double down on the stuff that is better than it's ever been, and do more that way? And you know we've talked about examples and you know in hiring and in teaching and all sorts of stuff. So we're doing we're running a contest uh, with uh, Elgato, which uh, you know Elgato makes all of this really super sweet uh, microphones and switch boxes and lights, you know, for like streaming and for video. And so we are giving away uh, some pretty sweet Elgato setups. Uh, and all we want is people to make a little 30 second video where they just explain or say something that they think ought to be made better than before. Like say something that if we apply technology to, we can make it better than it ever used to be. Just, you know, in 30 seconds, you don't have to use, mm -hmm. you, you can, if you want to. And, uh, and we're going to pick five winners in a few weeks and we're going to, we're going to be giving away some Elgato setups. Uh, and it's at, uh, it's at better than before.com. So if you just go there, the rules are there. There's no strings attached. We just want, we want ideas 
for this this better than before philosophy. Fantastic. Nice. Uh, I will be making a video because we've been talking about Elgato switchboards uh, literally all of quarantine. Uh, so it's so cool. I, I got one. Not, not I don't need it. I just like I I am heavily motivated by blinking lights. <laughs> like, like my whole life, I just want blinking lights, and so like I just love it, and uh, and it's actually great. It's it's so it's so fun uh, to use. Yeah, it, nice. it, it just. Yeah, it seems incredible. And then, you know, aside from this podcast, we do like a live stream as well. And uh, we're working on getting our interactions and our overlays and all the fun switches and keys that kind of come with yeah. that uh, plugged in. So uh, I think we'll be having a purchase very soon. Yeah, of, they're cool. Of, of that. And the lights are super good. Like, it's just it's just good stuff. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining myself and Adam here on Floor 9. Uh, where can our listeners reach out to you? On on Twitter? Is that the best place? To yeah. Do, uh, social I form? am uh, at P. Libin on Twitter uh, or uh, on the web just at uh, mm-hmm.app. Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you again, Phil. Um, so thank you, everybody. And we'll talk soon. Bye, guys. And that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Floor 9. As always, you can follow us on social at IPG Lab for Instagram and Twitter. Uh, make sure to sign up for our newsletter and uh, check out our Medium blog. A lot of great content there. Uh, so listeners, thank you so much, and we'll be back next week. Talk soon. Talk soon.